Hey folks, it's Lauren for Little Miss Neurodivergence, recording this from Singapore. This is going to be one episode that I am actually recording on the day of publication. And uh, I've just been a little... Well, there have just been a bunch of things happening that I will go to in a while. But first of all, I really wanted to say thank you for those of you who have managed to find the podcast somehow and to have found me on Instagram and connected there. I really don't take it for granted and I am just always so thankful for this little community of people that I feel like even though we've lived in very different places and lived really unique, different lives. Like at the heart of it are these like root things that we feel or experience or kind of stumble with. And that to me has been like a homecoming of sorts after, as you know, you know, like with your whole life kind of feeling like kind of on the fringe of things or an outsider or not really actually belonging in this undefinable weird way like I feel like now there is this underlying understanding and it really has been very meaningful when I connect with you so thank you so much if you found me I appreciate you so much I wanted to make sure I came on and recorded this because Yesterday, actually, I think, or is it? No, yeah, yesterday was the one year anniversary, I guess, of my going to my doctor and getting that ADHD assessment, which started on this whole path of realizing I had my missed neurodivergence. And For those of you who have heard other episodes, you'll know that how it was kind of a fluke almost, but I'm not sure I have shared this, which is how I almost also didn't ask for that assessment because just a few weeks before that day, I had mentioned to a work friend who I've talked about on a previous episode as well, and I referred to them as Mandy. That's the alias I chose uh, to refer to them on this podcast. And I was telling Mandy how I suspect I might have ADHD. And she was like, no, you don't. And so, you know, when I was going to go ask my doctor, I was really hesitant. And it's not just because it was that one comment that Mandy made. I think it's also in my late teenage years and very early adulthood around that period of time, I had a friend tell me like, hey, you know, I think you might be bipolar and you should probably look into it because she knew that I was kind of on a quest to understand like why I seem to kind of struggle in ways that my peers didn't seem to and that felt like wasn't just, you know, the trauma I'd been through as a child and stuff like that. So I remember, like, I can't remember why I went to get this, uh, like, information, but I remember I got, like, a piece of paper, like, those line 
pieces of paper and then like writing down all these symptoms and uh like can't remember what else i wrote i guess like the details of like onset age stuff like that and then i took it to my best friend at the time whose name like whose alias on this podcast i can't remember um but let's call her c and i took it to c and like c had barely glanced at it and then she was just like she just kind of like had this like really annoyed gesture where she kind of like flooped the paper away from her face and was just like you always think that there is something wrong with you um and the thing with c is that now with the context of my autism and like reevaluating a lot of the relationships i've been in i suspect that um c is like and i don't want to armchair diagnose but c has a lot of like narcissistic traits and uh so this was a friend who i thought was my best friend but at the time would like encourage my eating disorder uh like would ditch me once you know like she had her boyfriend otherwise like she'd show up and then suddenly she'd disappear and just like have all these traits that were really questionable it was really toxic um just that kind of friend who was never on my side, you know, um, but she was my best friend to me because I knew her from the first day of like, I guess what we call, what you, if you're in the States, would call middle school. But over here, we call secondary school, like from the first day of school, I knew her. And then that's kind of where our friendship started. And on and off throughout the years, that was my best friend. And so like, she knew me pretty well and she was just really exasperated, just wasn't on my side yet again. And so I was like, okay, like, you know, maybe you don't believe this, but I think it fits. And I'm going to see my, uh, like a professional in, uh, like just to find out. And this was in 2010. And well, that was when I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety and like, my doctor didn't think it was bipolar. And I think after that, like, C and I lost contact for a while. But, like, my point in saying this is that this was just, like, an instance of having someone close in my life who didn't believe me or didn't think that I really had something underlying, you know, just kind of made it seem like... I just wasn't trying hard enough or I was choosing to be a bad person or just not keeping up just because, you know? Um, so when Mandy, my work friend, many years later made that comment again, like, oh no, you know, like you're not ADHD, like in response to me saying that I thought I might be ADHD, it really brought up that old like wound of someone close enough to me to have observed me enough externally to be like, to make a comment. And so my confidence was shaken, even though I had done a bunch of research and I was like fairly certain. So yeah, when I went to my doctor, I didn't really know if I should bring it up. But then on that 14th of September last year, 2022 was when he was like, okay, yeah, we're gonna, it sounds, it sounds like ADHD. Let's start you on, Ritalin and um, we'll come back in a month to see how it works for you and for me like once he said that 
I just felt like, okay, that's all I need to know. Like, I don't have doubts about it. Called my mom. She didn't have doubts about it. Uh, my ex-spouse didn't have doubts about it. And then that was when it kind of also started me on the path to like figure out like, wait, there's a missing piece. And then thinking that, oh, you know, I think this is autism. And that one got even more pushback from, well, my doctor. And then like, yeah, I mean, if you've listened to previous episodes, I think you'll know. But finally, in July this year, I got to hold my diagnosis in my hand and... It's just been, the strange thing is, it's just been a bit harder to accept the autism diagnosis. And I'm not sure, honestly, if this stems from internalized ableism, I still haven't unpacked and unlearned. Or if it's just like this, like voice of these voices of all these people in the past who were just telling me that, you know, I was just making up all of these like difficulties or these struggles and I just wasn't trying hard enough and you know they're still living rent-free in my head or if I'm just you know like did I fake it you know in my mind like did I fake it did I fake all of that is it just in my head I'm really easy to gaslight like which is why I said you know like I kind of tend to fall really easily into relationships with people who have really strong narcissistic tendencies which apparently is a thing for autistic people if you didn't know I accidentally stumbled across another podcast can't remember off the top of my head what it is right now but yeah so like when I when I listened to that I was like no way and I will talk about this on another episode um but ever since then the people who found out about the autism as well of course my mom um my ex the family I have which is just my mom's side because I didn't grow up knowing my dad's side he was estranged from them and uh, like in my mom's side she she was the one who communicated it to an uncle let's call him uncle Jay who is her younger brother and I think she mentioned it in passing to like a couple of his sisters but I can't remember and she also passed on the information to my sister, who I haven't spoken to in, I don't know, like a really, really long time. There was some stuff that happened between us, you know, when I was undiagnosed. And I think that's one of the things that comes with late diagnosis. One of the grief I have is just that, especially with close people, you know, who don't, you don't have the vocabulary to express it they don't have that frame of reference to understand that you're not doing these things on purpose uh it can just be really tricky and by the time you get diagnosed it can still be too late you know to repair or salvage that relationship so that's been the case with my younger sister um and apart from that i think that's about who knows at this point oh and one cousin who i to personally told uh so that's just the extent of people who know. And what I thought was really interesting is that nobody who has been made aware of my diagnosis has said, oh, I don't think that's true. That doesn't sound like you, you know, like you're just making this up or it has to be something else. Like nobody has 
challenged it. Um, and okay, I'll, I'll just backtrack a bit. So last week, I visited an aunt who had a bad fall. Let's call her Aunt Hal. And I knew that another aunt was going to be there. Let's call her Aunt Sammy. Uh, and Aunt Sammy is really outspoken. Uh, and also my mom's brother, that Uncle Jay was going to be there. And like, Uncle Jay already knew prior to meeting that meeting that day that, you know, I was autistic and I have ADHD. I think about the ADHD, but for sure about the autism. My mom had told him. And like, when he looked at me, like he didn't say anything. He just like, I could, I think I saw in his face this kind of like understanding or like, oh, you know, like to me, that's what it looked like. Don't take my word for it, of course, because my reading of facial expressions and body language is hit and miss. Um, but yeah, he didn't, he didn't like doubt it. He didn't say anything. So I was just like, oh, cool. Okay. That's interesting. So then with Aunt Hal and Aunt Sammy, like, okay, with the ADHD, with Aunt Hal, because she has two sons and her older boy had like, was really, really hyperactive when he was young. And he got reprimanded a lot for it as a kid. So now I don't know if he's just kind of learned ways to hide it somehow, you know, or if genuinely he just kind of grew out of it, if that's like a quote unquote stereotypical gender thing where people are just like, ah, oh, you know, he grew out of it or if he learned to, like I said, hide it. So when I told her about the ADHD as well, she was like, oh, but yours isn't as bad as, you know, her oldest son. And I was kind of like saying, oh, uh, yeah, but there are like different kinds of ADHD. And I just gave her a quick rundown of like, you know, like the different, the three different types and how it can be hidden. And like, she was like, oh, okay. And like, she just didn't contest it at all. And then, yeah, when the autism came up, like just, I think my aunt, who I was really surprised by, Aunt Sammy, uh, who's the more outspoken one. Like, I thought that she would contest it. And like, honestly, I was having a bit of anxiety having to face her, you know, in person that the night before that visit, I honestly couldn't sleep. Uh, but she didn't doubt it. She accepted it. And honestly, I think she got a bit like cheery, which I was surprised by because she was saying that something to the effect of like, oh, you know, like, yeah, you know, sometimes you don't know and then you find out later on and that like, you know, like, like, what can you do kind of thing, but in a, what I thought was a commiserating kind of way. So that was really, really nice. And, you know, that's the thing I feel, which is like, it has been so obvious to people who watched me grow up, who have seen me through like the various life stages, like early childhood, childhood, teenage years, young adulthood, and then later in life, to know me enough to not be like, like doubtful about the diagnosis, because it was so obvious. And my mom has said to me, you know, like, yeah, she, she before like this diagnosis, she just thought that there was something wrong with me, you know, um, that, yeah. And so like, uh, it was so obvious. It was just very clear to everyone that I was this different, uh, family member out of everyone else, pretty much. And, um, I guess that has been really heartening 
because I know that has not necessarily been the case for other people who have gotten uh, late diagnosed. Even I think when I was disclosing it to like some friends, like they weren't like, no, there's no way. They were just like, oh, like really? Oh, okay. You know, like, because yeah, it's just been really clear. Like if you spent a day with me, there are just these little things that you are about to comment on. Like, are you crazy? Like, why are you doing that? Or like, you know, sometimes I would get really excited about something and I just have to kind of like move my body and do this little dancey dance thing. And like, yeah, people would pass comments about that or I just get super excited or passionate about like my special interests in a very intense way. Like there was no way you're going to pick up on the fact that there was something weird or different about me. So like nobody who knows me has ever said like, yeah, like that they didn't believe it. And the reason I say this is because I wanted to contrast it against two other people. One of them is my second doctor who I see now. And I was telling him that I was hoping to look for a neurodivergent affirming therapist, if possible, because for 12 years when I was with my previous, at the previous hospital, you know, like it was treated like as a very... Like there's something wrong and we need to fix this and we need to treat it and we kind of need to cure you. But I wanted it to, I wanted to step away from that and to just have a more positive kind of environment in therapy. And he said that the kind of therapy that's available, at least that he knows of, is more geared towards those who have higher support needs. And then I replied, you know, if it helps, I would have gotten a higher level of assessment, uh, like categorization with my autism assessment if I hadn't been employed at the time, because that was what the assessor said to me, like the reason why she put the level that she did. And so like there is this, like, what's the word for it? It's the shortcoming or like the inadequacy of having a formal diagnosis, which is they're trying to put it into these really neat boxes to categorize you, not really understanding that they may not have the full picture for one, that uh, the need, the level of like the person's needs can fluctuate and not realizing that it can be a very gendered thing, especially back then in the 90s-ish when I grew up, which is like when they see a boy, maybe they'd be like, okay, this is someone we need to take to see a specialist. And then seeing a girl, it was more like, you know, like, oh, she's a tomboy or she's just very stubborn. She's very um, like set in her ways, like slightly more negative connotation to like the presentation in a girl and then just being missed and like I felt that there was this kind of subtext to me as a person that he wasn't getting which is like yes I do present in a way that is I have presented in ways that have been so obvious to everyone who knows me who hasn't disputed it uh, after my diagnosis that I just felt like, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a shock and a bummer, I think, to process that. 
But um, the other per- person that also like didn't like you know like their knee jerk reaction like in that moment to kind of say like no you can't be was yesterday just yesterday I was at the vet with my cats and then one of them was really noisy and then they came, this person came up to me and they were like chatting 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 at some point they were asking oh like are you like what do you do for work and I was just saying like oh yeah I just kind of lost my job because you know I'm disabled and I went through some medical stuff you know like the cliff notes version and really quickly they were like you don't look disabled and that was the first time post-diagnosis that I have been told you don't look disabled and I just thought it was really interesting once again that it's coming from someone who doesn't know me as intimately as my family members do or like my co-workers because obviously with your co-workers you spend an inordinately more an inordinate oh a lot more time I'm just gonna like not even gonna try to say that but a lot more time with them that they would pick up on these things uh and yeah so it's just it was interesting it was definitely interesting uh that for those, you know, it's it's just, I, I don't know, I don't know what, what I was trying to say. I kind of honestly lost my train of thought when I was trying to pronounce inordinately. There you go, <laughs> I said it. Um, but it was just kind of like, yeah, I thought it was very fascinating to note that you can't deny it if you've lived with me in some way. Um, so yeah, and... I feel like that's something I also wanted to talk about, which is, you know, the shortcomings of having a formal diagnosis, because I think sometimes people can be really invalidating if someone is self-identified or self-diagnosed. And I'm here to tell you that I have been quote unquote formally diagnosed with ADHD and autism and it doesn't mean that you won't still have like either for one immediate access to uh, like support or accommodation that's one but also like even within like and I mean like accommodations like at work or like in your personal life or whatever but even within like the clinical setting and trying to get like I said, neurodivergent affirming therapy, there's this kind of like, oh, you know, but you're not quote unquote severe enough to warrant needing the kind of therapy that we have. And also, you know, you would have been picked up before now. Like there's just this lack of like nuance. The They just kind of like miss this whole like bit of why I was missed you know, taking into account, like, the time frame I grew up and, like, my gender and all that stuff. So we'll see where it goes, at least, with the therapy, because I might have to wait, I was told, like, up to a year, which is fine. I'm not in a hurry since I still have my therapist at the first hospital, which is fine. And I, I work, I've done some really good work with her over the years, even undiagnosed. Um, I just told her the other day that I guess previously I didn't have the vocabulary to say unmasking in this one hour session, 
but I used to tell her because she would ask me like, what do you want to get out of these sessions? Because I would just kind of come in and talk and I would tell her like, it's just a safe space for me to kind of be myself and come undone and, you know, like just be and express whatever I needed to express in a way that I couldn't outside in all these other aspects of my life as like at that time, like a wife or a sister, a coworker, a daughter, an aunt, a niece, all of these little roles and, you know, that I play and to come to therapy and be able to just be and express myself. So yeah, um, that was, that that's going to be like the situation with this therapy thing. I'm really not worried about it as the withdrawal symptoms have been lifting and I've been feeling a lot better, thank God, because, oh gosh, I really don't wish those few months of incapacitation and brain fog on anybody. Like, just being able to think clearly again. Woof. Never taking it for granted ever, ever, ever again. Um, I'm still on, like, 10 milligrams of Prozac just to kind of get me through, uh, like, I take it every three days. Uh, just to kind of keep the, like, I still have some, like, shakes in my body, like when I walk and stuff, and lightheadedness, just to kind of keep those symptoms at bay. But generally, I feel a lot more like myself, gen generally speaking. Um, but I have noticed that during this time when I go out, like when I went to visit my aunt, Hal, that day, and then just this past Monday, I went to see an uncle who recently got diagnosed with cancer and also when I went to the vet like yesterday every single time that I've come home I will spend like the next few days in a lot of pain particularly in like the back of my like the base of my skull in my jaw in my neck and my shoulders and a little bit towards like the upper back like the middle part like, it just feels, like, incredibly tense, and I'm not sure if it's the overwhelm of sensory stuff when I'm outside, uh, or, like, I, don't, I honestly don't know, but I will feel that pain for a few days. Um, uh, yeah, that's, like, the one thing that's been happening. So, uh, apart from that, yeah, like, I feel like it's just, I'm so thankful that it feels like I can come through this okay. You know, I feel a lot more level-headed about it oh you can hear my cat one of my cats trying to get in the room um but yeah and i'm also really grateful that like i've mentioned before you know like to have my mom to be able to help me out through this time and not pressuring me to look for employment and be able to just focus on i think personally you know to focus on processing still my diagnosis and getting through withdrawal and figuring out like what's next with what I want to do because now I understand my neurology and I know I can't just go do like some job which is going to overwhelm me I have to be careful to make sure I don't go into meltdowns or burnout as often as I did before I'm sure I will but at least not to the extent I used to have in previous jobs um so that's one one of the things that has been on the table and I mentioned Uncle Jay earlier on and Uncle Jay 
um, has been living overseas for a time in one of the countries in this region, in Indonesia, and it has, you know, like, I've just gotten the idea that I'm never going to be that super successful career person earning enough to cover like this two income, like formerly two income household on one paycheck. I'm never going to be able to function on that level. I'm fine with that. I can accept it. And I can honestly say I've tried my best. And so like after some discussions with my mom, you know, we were talking about selling the house. Like I would sell my house and then like the cats and I would move to Indonesia as well. And then like just it's a slower pace of life and it's uh like the currency exchange it would make more financial sense to live there i'd be able to probably like do some online courses if i want to there will be enough funds for that so that's something that's happening uh that i'm still trying to put like oh what's the expression for it like get my ducks in a row, I think. What's the expression? And, um, yeah, just trying to figure out those details. I'm not, I'm not afraid, honestly, of what's going to happen because I just feel like, honestly, with the diagnosis and that understanding, it's so, it's just been so helpful to tell me what I need. And that's amazing. I really, honestly, wouldn't trade it for anything else in the world, even though you know, like with the work situation, um, to me, it's just like, honestly, everything happens for a reason. And I will talk about why I'm all, I'm actually, as time has passed, I'm more glad than not that I'm not working there anymore. I'll, yeah, I'll do that in another episode, probably the next one, if I can remember to do it. Um, but yeah, it's just been amazing. I just feel great. And positive all things considered all things considered so yeah uh that has been something i wanted to kind of talk about and yeah happy one year ish anniversary of diagnosis to me and um it's insane i i thought i didn't think that time would pass so quickly i will post this like I said, like on the day off and um, yeah, let me know what you think. I have the, like all the details in the show notes, like email, Instagram, um, my blog, which has like a comments, like you can comment there. And I do leave my Patreon there as well. If you'd like to tip, if you'd like to support the podcast, it starts from, or it's just $3 um, tipping. And what else do I have in the show notes? I think that's it. Yeah. So if you'd like to reach out and comment or connect, I will probably reply really slow, especially during this period for the reasons I've mentioned. Um, but yeah, I will eventually get back to you. And um, I promise. And um, yeah, until then, and until the next episode, I hope you take care and stay safe. If you'd like to subscribe or follow as well, that would be fantastic. So, you know, just in case I have that brain again, you'll know when a new episode comes out. 
so there's that option as well um but yeah apart from that thanks so much for listening i really appreciate you and your time and your energy and i will talk to you soon uh this has been lauren for a little miss neurodivergence